And so now I invite you to take a Bible to open it to Matthew chapter 1, where we will read uh, the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. We're going through a series here entitled Messiah, uh, the Promised One. And when you see Messiah, uh, if, if what might come into your mind most is a classic piece of music of songs entitled Messiah that is played in every major metropolitan area every single Christmas. And sometimes it's just the background music as you might be doing your holiday shopping. We are so maybe familiar with that piece of music because it's become so popular that maybe you, like me, didn't quite know the backstory behind that piece of music. Um, But I was fascinated as I read it. Um, It's often called Handel's Messiah because it was Handel who uh, put all of the piece to music, but he was not the one responsible for the text. A friend of his put the text together and wrote him and said, would you please put this to music? And he did, and it has been world-renowned ever since. But the person who put the text together was a gentleman named Charles Jennings. And this is his story. Uh, Charles had experienced a personal tragedy when his brother Robert committed suicide. One of the reasons behind Robert's decisions, Charles believed, was an association that his brother had with the burgeoning philosophy of deism, which he encountered while studying at Oxford. This was during the height of the Enlightenment and deism was on the rise. Deism affirms the existence of God as sort of an unmoved mover or the first cause, but it denies God's personal presence and committed activity within the present-day cosmos. And so purveyors of this doctrine, they agree with Christian thinkers on several points, but one one finds that the claims of deism and classic Christian orthodoxy are ultimately at odds. One cannot affirm a hands-off vision of God while continuing to look to the accounts of Moses, Isaiah, or above all, Jesus as the ultimate source of truth. And so Charles witnessed in his brother this increasing emptiness as he entered into these ideas and eventually a purposelessness that led him to despair. So his conviction was to take various parts of scripture and organize them without adding any commentary on his own but from the Old Testament to the New to arrange the text to be straight scripture because he believed that there was life and hope and promise contained therein. So he arranged it all. He sent the manuscript to George Friedrich Handel in the hopes that he would make it his next piece of work. And in the letter he wrote to him and asked him, pleaded with him, that he would give his attention because the subject contained herein excels every other subject. And so my hope is you would lay the whole of your genius and skill upon it that the composition may excel all of your former compositions. And so Handel got that letter from his friend who was grieving the loss of his brother and he did put the whole of his musical genius in the composing of that piece of music so that people would hear the good news afresh. A whole country that was familiar with it and gotten bored with it and started to experiment away from it would be awakened again to really discover the uniqueness of the gospel and the hope that it gives. We're considering Matthew chapter one in this genealogy. 
uh, and we're going through, we did it last week, and we're here again in the same genealogy, because for many of us, even in our own Bible reading, we start to see a list of, list of names, and we might just say, okay, skip ahead, <laughs> and move on. But if we skip ahead, we miss some of the power uh, that this story tells, and some of the hope that this gives for all of us who desperately need it. Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And that's where we'll conclude our reading this morning. Last week, we considered the names in this genealogy that were repeated, that sort of provided the title for us at the beginning and then were pre repeated throughout in David and Abraham as key people in the story of God's uh, people who, to whom promises had been made to Abraham that from him would come a great nation that would be a blessing to all nations. And then to David as the king of Israel that someone would rule in his place over the whole nation, that they would rule in righteousness forever. So that for most of the people at the time Matthew is writing this is they came to a season of anticipating the Messiah. They weren't like us in our contemporary context, whether we believe in Jesus or not, whether we know what Messiah means or not. This is sort of the end of the year. We might be thinking about gifts that we might be sharing with people, an end of the year work party that we might enjoy, uh, just a break from school that we might have if we're a student. Uh, and, and so we think about extra time, opportunities to share time that we have with friends or family. But for all of the first uh, listeners to this story, they weren't sitting around and wondering what gifts they might be getting. They were sitting around wondering and hoping how the promises of God would possibly be fulfilled in their day. Because they were promised to be a great nation that would bless all nations. But they were a tiny nation that got picked on by all nations. 
It was promised that there would be a ruler who would reign in righteousness. And when they looked around, most of the people in charge uh, could not be described as righteous. And so they wondered, not if they would get a gift of some sorts from their wish list, but they longed for justice. They longed for liberation. They longed for freedom. And it was the Messiah who was supposed to bring that to them. And so Matthew is very intentional in how he tells this story to remind us of those promises, to tell us that in Jesus coming into this world, he is demonstrating that God is keeping the promises that he made. Those promises made are promises kept. That we can know that God's not just out there, but distant. That he knows what's going on. He didn't just get it all started and then moved on to something else and that's why everything is the way it is because he's off to another project that none of us know about. But no, at various points in time, he enters into the story, enters into the mess. He intervenes to bring about goodness and light and truth and beauty into this world. And so last week we considered the names that were repeated and this week we consider the names that surprise us Again, from a first century standpoint, that a genealogy would include four different women within it is a very unique thing. Most genealogies that would have been written telling Israel's story would not ever have included women. We actually have another example in the Gospels themselves, in the Gospel of Luke, of a genealogy that just follows that pattern. So when in Matthew's genealogy, in telling the story, he specifically includes four different women, that should, for us, be something that we highlight and say, that's interesting. Why would he do that? What is he telling us all about Jesus and the significance of his coming when he includes people that otherwise would not have been included in a genealogy? And there are the names of four women in this. Tamar, and then Rahab, Ruth, and then the wife of Uriah, whom we know as Bathsheba. They're all different stories, but Matthew includes them, one, to tell us that the good news of Jesus coming into this world is good news for men and women. It is good news for men and women. He reminds us of these women And he doesn't go into a lot of detail into their stories. The only one that sort of makes a reference to some of the details of the story is the wife of Uriah. Uh, Matthew could have said the wife of David. He doesn't on purpose. He reminds us of some of the circumstances that were in play with Bathsheba and Solomon and makes sure that we don't forget that she was first the wife of another man. But each of them were people that by birth and by circumstance, most of them were excluded from the promises of God. Thought they had no hope or they had no future. And in different ways, some noble and some very much not, they were brought into the promises. They advocated and fought for their inclusion into the story. And they received it. And Matthew's reminding us of them so that we would know that now in the coming of Christ, this is good news for men and women. Tamar had been married 
did not have any children. Her husband died, and so she married her husband's brother, and again, that husband died. And she had a promise from her father-in-law to have another husband, to have provision given to her. And then that father-in-law, Judah, never kept that promise. And what she resorted to, to secure the promise, uh, is, a, is a painful story of pretending to be a prostitute and then eventually showing Judah that he was not an innocent person. And when he was angry at her for what she had done, he realized that he wasn't guiltless and she called him out on his own behavior. And he recognized that, yeah, he wasn't guiltless and he wasn't justified in his anger toward her. And it's a sad story that she, her situation was so desperate that she had to resort to such means of pretending to be a prostitute in order to be regarded, in order to be considered by the people who were closest to her, in order to be cared for. Rahab was a prostitute, wasn't pretending to be one. But when spies came into Jericho from the people of Israel and were going to scout out the, the prospects of now entering into the promised land and coming to Jericho, she put her own self at risk to protect the spies that were of the people of Israel. And so though she was a prostitute, she acted in a courageous way by faith to say, hey, I'm gonna watch out for you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna make sure you can go. But will you promise that when this goes down, you'll, you'll look out for me and my family, that we will be safe. And she was. They honored her faithfulness to them by showing faithfulness to her and so she was included. Ruth was of another country, a Moabite. She had married into the family of Israel, but only because they had fled Israel due to a famine. And then her husband died. Her father-in-law died. There was no prospects for them of a future of an inheritance, but she decided to go back with her mother-in-law to Israel and eventually was grafted into the family, uh, was married to Boaz, and through Boaz had children. But by birth, by where she grew up, would have had no visible prospects for how she would be included. We're not sure of all of the details of Bathsheba, but we know that her first husband was a Hittite. He was not of, of the, one of the sons of Israel. And so, again, her story is of someone being included who initially, just from her biography, we would not have foreseen a way in which she would have entered into the priestly or the kingly line uh, of David. And Matthew's reminding us of all four of these that are very different situations, and most of them with a sense of uh, just sadness, even when you know the details and reflect on them of what life circumstances these women faced. But he reminds us of them to tell us that this good news of Christ coming includes these people and it includes their stories with their hurts and their pain and their limitations so that as we read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, we will encounter Jesus and his compassion for people from all walks of life in all different circumstances and limitations to extend grace to them, and that this is good news for men and for women, good news also for Jews and for Gentiles. 
as the lineage primarily identifies the connection between Jesus and David and then Abraham and so follows his Jewish line, by the inclusion of these four women into this genealogy, he highlights for us that in the genealogy itself was the inclusion of Gentile women. And so again, Matthew is preparing us for what the gospel's gonna unpack. The Messiah came from this rich history and tradition of David and Abraham and all of the people of Israel. But within that rich tapestry was also many who were not born a part of that same family history. And what Christ is about to do is good news not just for them, but for all people. And so the inclusion of their names in here is to remind us that, and it connects it back with Abraham's original promise, that yes, God made a promise to Abraham, but in that promise was always the goal to be a blessing to all nations, through him to bless all nations. And so if Messiah is gonna come and he's gonna keep that promise, then we would expect he comes from that line, but he comes to and for all people of all backgrounds. And then lastly, when we think about each of their stories, it's a way of saying to all of us that what God has done in sending Jesus into the world is good news for saints and sinners. It's good news for the righteous and the unrighteous. It's good news for the rule followers and the non-rule followers. There are some, as we would read their stories in the genealogy, we would say, wow, it's amazing. Of course they're included in it, the things that they've done. Then there's others we just don't even know that much about. And then there are others for whom what we know is not exactly exemplary, that we would, you would say to your own son and daughter, hey, go and do this, be just like them. You would say, no, 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 learn about them, learn from them, but make sure you do what God wants you to do. Make sure you follow after him. And when Christ comes, and shares his good news for all people. He speaks to the religious and the non-religious, those who are going to the temple to make sacrifice and those who are not. And he is announcing to all of them that because of him, there is hope. There is a future. God is not distant. God is not absent. God is not only available to one group of people or only cares about one gender or only cares about one set of biographies that the God who made each and every one of us in sending his son to this world comes into this story from each and every one of us and has come for each and every one of us. And that's still good news that we need today. Last week I read this article that life expectancy dropped in America in 2017 compared to 2016. Numerically, if you saw it as a percentage, it's a small percentage, but when you're talking about a population of almost 400 million people, point something is still a lot of people. And this is from the official report from the Center for Disease Control. It said life expectancy in the U.S. has dropped once again, thanks in part to rising suicide and drug overdose rates, according to new government reports. The Center for Disease Control found nearly 70,000 more Americans died in 2017 than 2016, with the largest rate of increased deaths among 25 to 44-year-olds. 
And so the head of the Center for Disease Control, his name is Robert Redfield, said life expectancy gives us a snapshot of the nation's overall health. And these sobering statistics are a wake-up call that we are losing too many Americans too early and too often, sometimes to conditions that are preventable. And then as the article goes on, it actually says that last year we made positive progress in decreasing the death rate due to cancer by 2% overall. And so in some areas where we made progress through research and the practice of medicine, we are losing ground in other areas. And so in our day and age, as we think about Christmas and what it is that we have to offer the world to those who feel hopeless, to those who feel lost, to those who feel limited and are wondering if anyone cares. We read something like Matthew chapter one in its genealogy and we can say to them and to ourselves with confidence that God does know, that God does care. He didn't just get everything started and walk off to the next thing. He's paying attention. He's present in his son. He's not distant from all of the the mixture of experience and emotions and joys and hurts that is a part of the human experience. But he was willing to enter into that through his son. And next week we'll see, we'll continue on in Matthew one of the people who's going to need to hear this the most is Joseph. As he finds out, his wife is pregnant and he doesn't know why. And a whole bunch of people around him have an opinion about what he should do about that. And he has to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold fast. There's a whole bunch of other stories that are, it's a part of our story where God does surprising things through really messy situations. And he shows himself caring for and listening to the needs and the hurts and the longings and the desperation of people who are the most vulnerable. This is part of the good news that we have to share to a lost and dying world. That God is alive. He is present. When they don't sense a purpose or a future that he came to make clear that he offers it to them. He is the Messiah. The promises made are the promises kept. And he's available to men and to women, to Jew and to Gentile, to saint and sinner alike. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news that you have come to this world, for this world, from this world, that you included Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba into the stories of your people, into your work in history, fully aware of the pain and the hurt, the limitations and the vulnerabilities, the good and the bad that each one of them would have done, We know that you are holy, that there is no darkness in you, that you are light and that your purposes for us are always good. 
but we thank you in your holiness that you can redeem any of us, whatever our guilt, whatever our pain, whatever our struggle. We also grieve. We grieve when we hear about in our own day and age, 70,000 more people lost from one year to the next, a whole city of people. Out of a sense, for many of them, of despair, of wondering where are you, where is hope, and where is a future. We ask that you would help us to be agents of you, to spread the good news, to spread the light, to remind people of your faithfulness. And that in moments when they think there, there is no more future, that you would use us in our humble attempts to shine a light into those dark places. Father, we thank you for all the normal gifts that this season provides for us. We thank you for the gifts of family and friends and office parties and time off school. We don't want to make light of any of those but we pray that you would help us with all of those also keep our focus on you and telling others about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.